Thanks, Victoria. Um, I just wanted to say before I begin this morning, um, if you haven't met me, uh, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors in Village. We have two congregations, one over in East Belfast and this one here in the South, and I uh, lead the team here in Village South. Um, if you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you're here. We hope that you experience something of the goodness of God this morning, um, and we'd love to meet you. So um, please say hi on the way out. Um, I also want to remember, uh, I want you to remind you guys uh, that we uh, are in the process of installing our, uh, I guess after me, our second elder in Village South, which is a really exciting time for us as a church plant. Um, we believe that the Bible shows us that churches are, are led by, local churches are led by local elders. Um, and to that end, we introduced Travis Young, who's not here this morning. Um, slacker, that's a mark against him, actually. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, let's all let's get rid of Travis. Um, no, he's a good godly guy, and uh, we introduced him as an elder candidate. That means that he's in this process now of the next several months of really for, for you as our church family to discern whether or not he is someone who should be an elder in our church. Um, is he someone that, so you need to ask yourself these questions, is he godly? Does he, uh, does he meet the requirements of eldership that we see in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 2? And, and is he someone whose leadership and authority you can submit to? Um, and we want to hear from you. I want you to uh, speak to me or text me if you have my number. Email me, andrew at villagebelfast.com. Uh, come and speak to me. Uh, uh, not just the concerns you have about Travis, but also the encouragement. Um, we, we, this is us as a family making this decision together. Um, so do remember that. Um, and then in the autumn, God willing, sometime we, uh, we will... Uh, we'll properly install him as an elder, and that'll be a really, really good day. Um, yeah, I can't wait for that. Um, before we get into our word this morning, let's just pray, because we need God's help. Uh, Heavenly Father, we're, we're, we thank you for your word. Um, we need your help. Lord, we're, whenever we open your word, we're, we come to it with our own agendas and our own sinful hearts, and we want it to say what we want it to say. And Lord, we just pray that we would hear what you have to say to us this morning. Uh, Lord, and I pray that this direct and hard word would just land gently on our hearts this morning because we know that everything you have to say to us is for your glory and for our good, and we trust that, Lord. Uh, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and let us respond um, with changed lives this morning for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Uh, one of the less pleasant things about getting older is that it's not being bald, because I've been bald since I was like, 21 or something. Um, so it, it's, it's that I am beginning to notice all the ways that I'm becoming like my parents. Um, if, if you're younger, you're probably like, that's never going to happen to me. <laughs> no way. But trust me, it will happen. That train has already left the station. And one day, you'll just turn around and be like, oh, I'm my dad or I'm my mom. Um, and there's loads of ways I'm like my mom in personality, for better or for worse. Um, and so I'm never really surprised when I do something that's a bit like her. But as for my dad, that's a wee bit more surprising because I looked like him, but he was a very different personality to me. He was quiet. He was thoughtful. Um, he didn't say stupid things all the time like I do. And so when I uh, do something that's like him, it makes me surprised. And I've noticed this change in me, especially since having kids. Uh, so we have Finley, who's seven, and Abigail, who's three. And I don't know if this is something that happens to all guys when, uh, if and when they have kids, that you just, you, you start using these dad phrases <laughs> all the time. So I've suddenly, suddenly started saying things that I would never have said before. Things like, close that door, 
turn the lights off and wear your shoes. Things I never cared about before in my life. Now I say all the time, right? Who cares if the lights on or off? Well, I do all the time now, apparently. And there's one phrase that I've started saying um, that most reminds me of my dad, and it's this. Do you hear me? Whose dad said that? Like, Do you hear me, right? And when my dad said to me, or as I say to my kids now, do you hear me? He wasn't actually saying, have you heard the words I've just said? He was saying, have you heard the words that I've said? And then he expected us to do something. For example, if with me, if Finley is sitting watching TV and I ask him to set the table and, and I say, can you set the table? And he doesn't move. I'll say to him, do you hear me? And I am not just saying, have you heard the words I've just said? What I'm actually asking him is, have you heard the words I've said? Because if you have, why are you not acting on it? Because in this situation, hearing requires action, right? Hearing requires action. Do you hear me? We're continuing our series in the book of James. I almost said Acts because it was talking about action. The book of James this morning. And it's a series that we called Faith Works. Because that really is the main theme of this, of this book, this letter. It was James, the apostle, the half-brother of Jesus, writing to a group of dispersed Jewish Christians. And he's exploring the relationship with them between faith in Jesus and how we live our lives, what we do. In other words, how does what we believe impact our lives? But also this book looks at and allows us to explore how our faith impacts the, the world around us. And by that, uh, I mean that our faith is good for Belfast. We've used this phrase throughout this series already, and we're only in chapter 1. Our faith is good for our city. The, the, the person we believe in, Jesus, and the way he instructs us to live is good for our city. That's what we fundamentally believe. Because we believe in Jesus, we have something good to offer our city. And in this section that Victoria just read for us, James is talking about hearing the Word of God and doing the Word of God. And through this passage this morning, God is asking us, do you hear me? Because if you hear me, you'll act. Because hearing requires action. And one of the problems is that we hear and don't act. We hear and we don't act. There's this thing that... Um, there's this, there's this thing called uh, speech act theory, which is very boring, but it's quite interesting. And speech act, act theory basically goes something like this. If, if I meet you and we're walking in the country and uh, I see you about to climb over the fence into the field and I say the, the statement, there's a bull in that field, what do I mean? Is it true there's a bull in that field? Yes, but I, I obviously mean more than that, right? I'm telling you there's a bull in that field, so don't go into it. That's actually what I mean. That's speech act theory. Hearing requires action. And when we listen to sermons and, and maybe we discuss the scriptures with our missional community groups, and, um, but we, we do all these things, but we find it much more hard to then actually put it into action. So we hear that there's a bull in that field, but maybe we just climb on into the field anyway. I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of the time we're a bit like Finley sitting watching TV. We hear God telling us to set the table, <laughs> but we just stay where we are in our comfort and in our distraction. I know that's what I'm like. 
So what does God have to say to us this morning about this? Well, here's what we see in this passage. As followers of Jesus, we must receive the Word, submit to the Word, and obey the Word. As followers of Jesus, we we need to receive God's Word, submit to God's Word, and obey God's Word. So we're going to look at each one of these things in turn, and then at the end, I I want to turn our attention to why it is that hearing and not doing is actually dangerous for us and detrimental to our city, okay? But let, let me start first with the Word itself, that this Word that we're meant to hear and act on, that James says, be doers of the Word and not hearers only. What is this Word and how do we know what it is? He uses this a lot in this passage, but also throughout the book. In verse 21, he says, the implanted Word. In verse 22, he says, be doers of the Word. In verse 23, he says, if anyone is a hearer of the Word, And then in verse 25, he's referring to the same thing, but he talks about the perfect law or the law of liberty. You see, the idea of of law of liberty comes up again, and and we'll come to that later on in chapter 2, verse 12, when he's really summing up his his, his, um, teaching from the previous verses. In chapter 2, verse 8, he calls it the royal law according to the Scriptures. We can be pretty clear that the word that that James wants us to hear and act on is the word of God, is the Bible, the law. Now, James would have heard his brother Jesus uh, talking about the Bible this way. Jesus often referred to the law and meant all of the scriptures. Jesus would have said the law and the prophets, or sometimes he just shorted it to the law, and that was a way of him talking about the Bible, talking about the scriptures. The word that James says we need to hear and obey is the Word of Scripture, the Bible, what we call the Word of God. And we see this clearly going right back to the very beginning of the church. Even as early as the the church in Acts chapter 2, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Already, they knew that the apostles' teaching, what we call the New Testament, was Scripture and something to be sat under as authoritative. The New Testament church lived under the authority of the Word of, of God, and that, that this included the recorded sermons and letters of the apostles. The Apostle Paul actually says to Timothy in his letters that the authority of the church lies in the apostles' teaching, that's the New Testament, and in the inherited, uh, the inherited scriptures, that's the Old Testament. And, and together, both these are to be recognized as the God-breathed scriptures, the Word of God. The church has always been and always will be people of the book. That's what we are. We're people of the Word of God. When we talk about bringing new elders on, talk about Travis coming on as an elder, well, actually, it's the Bible, not the elders who are the final authority of our church. Because the Bible is the very Word of God. Everything, uh, Victoria already said it, everything we say and do and preach and teach and lead and practice comes from the Word of God. Because God is our final authority, not, not, not people. This means that, that if you're a member of our church, you can hold your elders and leaders to account. Are we obeying the Word of God? It's Jesus who's the pastor of this church, not me. And Jesus leads us through the Word of God, and, and, and the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and applies it to our hearts and our, our minds to allow us to hear and understand what God is saying to us. Uh, a teacher of mine uh, 
a guy called Tim Chester, a brilliant man, and he said, he says this, he says that, um, I remember in one of the classes he said this, and I was like, ah, oh, I'm having that, I'm nicking that. Um, he said that um, the Holy Spirit is the breath of God, and just as my voice is carried by my breath to your ears, so the Word of God is carried by His breath to our ears. Isn't that great? The Holy Spirit carries the Word of God to our hearts and allows us to hear it. And it's my job and the job of the elders to simply explain the Scriptures and, and lead us in the way that God has revealed to us through His Word. So this is why it's so important. I want to start with that this morning, uh, just to give us an idea, uh, to get, give us reasons why we have to receive and submit to and obey the Word of God, because it is the very voice of God speaking to us. We need to receive, submit to, and obey the Word of God. Firstly, we need to receive the Word of God. Let, let me read verses 19 to 21. If you have a Bible with you, just keep it open, because we're just kind of going to work our way through the passage as we always do. Listen to verse 19 to 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. That's actually uh, brothers and sisters. The, the Greek there is, is both. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness or humility, it's the same word, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, it might come as a shock to you that I was a bit of a chatterbox when I was away. In school, right, I, I would just, <laughs> I would talk and talk. I wasn't a bad kid, but I would just talk to the people beside me and distract them until it got so bad that... My P4 teacher, Mrs. Stewart, whose daughter I met recently at a wedding, um, she actually moved her desk so it was like literally touching her desk. So I had nobody around me just to talk to, so I had to sit and go on with work. Um, so it's no wonder that another corker of a phrase that my dad used to say to me was, you need to open your ears and shut your mouth, <laughs> right? Sounds quite rude, but it was because I was just talking and not listening at all. I'm a really, really good talker, but not a very good listener. And it's this same attitude that, that James is getting at here when he comes to the Word of God. He says that we need to humbly receive the implanted Word. In other words, we need to cultivate ears and lives that welcome the Word of God. For so many of us, our, our, our hearts and lives are not cultivated this way. We, we, we're naturally cultivated to hear the Word of social media or our bosses or our friends or our families, but but. We're not naturally cultivated to hear the Word of God. In other words, something needs to change if, if we're going to humbly receive the implanted Word. And there's a challenge in this, isn't there? What needs to change in our lives for us to receive the Word of God? How are you going to cultivate your heart and your life to receive the Word of God humbly? And James gives us four guidelines for doing this. Firstly, we need a capacity to listen. Now, he's not just talking about physically hearing words, but actually listening with our hearts to what God has to say to us. He says we need to slow down. He talks, notice the speed he talks about here. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. I know for me, and, and, and I imagine it's pretty much human nature, for a lot of us, it's the other way around, that we're quick to speak, we're quick to get angry, quick to judge, and slow to listen. The reality is that, that we can physically hear 
uh, the Word with our ears or, or read it with our eyes, but not really receive it in our hearts. Isn't that true? James says we need to slow down. I think in, uh, just in, in our uh, generation, social media trains us or has trained us. To ha- we have to have an opinion on everything, right? By the way, you don't. <laughs> That's a lie. You don't. And you shouldn't because <laughs> you're not that smart, just like me. And because of the nature of social media and the way information is presented, we're encouraged to form these opinions, very extreme opinions, very quickly without uh, much consideration or very little information. And, and this is genius marketing by social media companies. Why? Because if you can market something, a product, in, in, in a way that taps into, the very, into very human nature, you're onto a winner. And, and telling us to form opinions quickly without listening taps into our sinful nature. In our sin, we're so quick to judge and quick to get angry and slow to listen, aren't we? But God says, slow down. Listen to me. Let, let my word sit with you for a while. Because the truth is, God has been speaking to his creation since the beginning of time. He spoke us into being. And he has a lot to say. Don't be in a hurry. God has got more to say than you do. <laughs> And so we need to form a capacity to listen to him. Secondly, we need a controlled tongue. Isn't this what he says? He's slow to speak, slow to anger. Anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Um, You can't be an effective listener if you're doing all the talking. (laughs) Another cracker from my dad. Maybe this is common to all dads. God gave you two ears and one mouth. (laughs) Why, he always said that to me. Yeah. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody, right, and they're talking to you, but while they're talking, you've already formed in your head what you're going to say for them, and you're kind of just waiting for them to get through what they're saying so you can say what you want to say? Just me. Just me then. But we're like this with God. And again, we need to slow down, just listen to God. We need a controlled tongue, but we also need a calm manner. Not only should we be slow to speak, but we should be slow to anger. Human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, what we need to understand here is that that God is, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you put your trust in Jesus, God is making you into a new creation, right? And he uses his word, he speaks to us uh, to do this, to transform us as the Holy Spirit applies the word to our lives and convicts us of things that we need to get rid of and so on. And, and God is doing this, and we spoke about this a few weeks ago. God is removing all the parts of you that won't be in the kingdom of God. So there are certain parts of you, not like the leprous thing he was saying, you'll have a complete body, trust me, but, but parts of your character and personality, the sin, the things that don't reflect the glory of God, the things that aren't like Jesus will not be in the kingdom of God. And God uses his word to make us more like him. And being quick to anger is not the kind of attitude that God desires. Angry and harsh people is not what God is making us into. He's making us more like Christ, who is gentle and lowly in heart. He's making us more like himself, who is rich in steadfast love, slow to anger. We need a calm manner. And the fourth thing we need in order to receive the word of God humbly is a clean life. 
James tells us in verse 21 um, to put away all filthiness. That word put away, it's literally like taking something off. It's, it's get rid of. That's what he's saying. Put it down, get rid of, walk away from. Now, the interesting thing about this word filthiness, and I love stuff like this, is this word in the original language can have several meanings. Um, but one of the uses of this word um, was actually used in medicine. It was, a, it was the exact word that was used for earwax. I love that. James is going, oh yeah, I'm talking about hearing. I'm going to put in earwax. I, lo- I love... I love Anyone who thinks that the biblical writers weren't literary geniuses is mistaken, because they were. Um, now, if you ever had that, this is gross. <laughs> if you ever had the doctor clear your ears, ear, ears out, <laughs> you, you realize, like, you come out and you think, "Wow, I'm like Superman. I can hear everything here." Like, you're like, "How did I not hear before?" Because earwax stops you hearing properly, and James says we need to get rid of it. Do you see what's going on here? James connects rampant wickedness, in other words, sin, in our lives to not being able to hear God. He says, get rid of all the earwax, all the rampant sin, otherwise you can't hear God. Sin that that goes unaddressed and unrepented stops us from hearing God. It gives us blocked ears. So listen, what is there in your life and in your heart that is stopping you from hearing God and receiving His Word? What is it? Because there are, what James is saying is that sin in our lives actually stops us from receiving the Word of God, actually hearing what God has to say. What thoughts and actions and attitudes do you need to get rid of? Do you need to repent of? What spiritual earwax do you need to get out of your ears so you can receive the Word of God? Because notice what the opposite of having blocked ears is. In verse 21, put away all the filthiness. Get rid of all the the filthiness and all the rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, I'm pretty sure James wasn't thinking about implants and hearing when he wrote this a couple of thousand years ago because they haven't been invented yet. But the idea behind the word being implanted here is that, that it actually becomes part of us. That's what something being implanted is. It becomes part of its environment. An implant becomes part of us. And, and whenever we talk about the uh, hearing and, and, and re, you read the word implant, what does it make you think of? Uh, cochlear implants are, are used nowadays to help certain people with certain hearing conditions to hear. Something that people in our church family are very familiar with. Uh, the other day, I... Maybe you've seen videos like this. I watched uh, a video of an eight-month-old baby boy called Jonathan uh, having his cochlear implants turned on for the first time. You ever seen videos like this? If you want to have a cry and feel happy, <laughs> watch this video. And Jonathan is in his mummy's arms, and he's just sucking his wee dummy. And the doctor says, uh, it's turned on. You can, you can talk to him. And his mo- I, I'm going to get emotional talking about it. And she's looking at him, and she's holding him, and she starts saying, I love you, Jonathan, I love you. And he's sucking his wee dummy, and then he hears her, and he stops, and the dummy drops out. And then this biggest grin just comes over his face. as He's just full of joy at hearing his mother's voice for the first time. This is what God wants us to experience when we have the Word implanted in us, when we get our ears unblocked. The Word of God is, is our cochlear implants. 
when we receive the word of God with humility, come into it with an attitude of, of wanting to hear, being quick to listen and slow to speak, we hear with clarity the voice of our Father. Our Father, He loves us so much and, and He is dying to speak to us. He wants to tell you how much He loves you. He wants you to hear Him rejoicing over you with singing, as Zephaniah 3.17 tells us. He wants you to hear Him singing over you. Like baby Jonathan, when he heard his mommy saying, Jonathan, I love you. And when we get rid of all the earwax and receive the implanted word, this is what we get. We get the voice of our Heavenly Father, and He has only good things to say to us. I don't want to spend loads of time on this, but, but I will say this. Just as, as my co- kids couldn't survive without me and, hearing me and Haley speak to them, that's how we instruct them and teach them and love them. How can, how can we expect to survive and live and grow and flourish without hearing the voice of our Father? So if, if hearing the Word, if something as simple as reading the Bible isn't part of your life and you're a Christian, can I please, even if you're not a Christian, it's a good thing to do, can I please encourage you to, to pick up the Bible and start reading? Cultivate your heart and your habits to listen to God. It's vital. We need Him. We need the voice of our Father. We need to receive the Word of God. Secondly then, not only do we need to receive the Word of God, we need to submit to the Word of God. Um, let me read verses 22 to 25 for us here. He goes on, James says, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Wow, you're deceiving yourself. That's pretty strong. He goes on, verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But he, uh, sorry, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, here's the thing about mirrors. Mirrors are honest. (laughs) When you look in a mirror, you figure out, you see what you really look like. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was down in Specsavers. Uh, getting fitted for contact lenses, and they gave me one of those magnifying mirrors to, you know, practice putting the contact lenses in. When I looked into that thing, I got a fright. I'm not going to lie to you. This, up close, that's not a good thing. Mirrors are honest. There's no place to hide. What you see is what you get. Now listen, uh, Village has a lot of weddings happening at the minute. A couple of weeks ago, we had Ethan and Lauren um, and then on Monday past, we had Dan and Chloe, and next uh, week, we got Jason and Michelle. Now, suppose I'm getting ready for one of those weddings, and I look into the mirror before I leave the house, and I see that my tie is all off to the side, I've got food stuck in my teeth, and I've got a piece of dirt in my head. And, and, and then, now suppose, after seeing all that, and I stand looking in the mirror, and I notice all of that, and then, suppose I, I walk away and forget what I've seen. Don't do anything about it. I don't straighten up my tie. I don't clean my teeth. I don't wipe the dirt off my head. And I just go out to the wedding. Now, if I did that, you could say that I'm pretty foolish. I've clearly seen the problems, but I haven't taken them on board. I haven't given any authority to what I've seen in the mirror. The mirror only has one purpose. The mirror is to show us what we are like so we can do something about it. And if we don't act on what we say in the mirror, we've entirely missed the point of what the mirror is for. Mirror is starting to sound like a funny word right now because I've said it so much. 
And James says this is exactly the same for the Word of God. The Word of God is meant to move us into action. And if we spend time looking into the Word of God and come away straight after and do nothing about what it has shown us about ourselves, then we're as foolish as me going to that wedding with a wonky tie and dirty teeth and dirt in my forehead. Now, maybe if I had had just a quick glance in the mirror, I could be forgiven for not noticing the wonky tie and the dirty head. But, and you might think, well, to be fair, he only had a quick glance. He probably hasn't taken it all in. But that's not what James is talking about here at all. Notice what he says in verse 23. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently. Looks intently at his face in the mirror and then goes away and forgets what he saw. You see what he's getting at here? James, James isn't holding to account the people who, who, who are not in the church who don't spend time in the Word. He's talking to Christians like us, right? People who know the Bible. Christians who come to church gatherings and listen to the Bible being taught and, and explained. Followers of Jesus like us who, who discuss the Bible with our missional communities and core groups. Christians who maybe even read books about the Bible and listen to podcasts about the Bible. Christians who are saturated in the Word of God, who look intently into it, but don't let it affect their lives. These are the people James is getting at here. People like us. Now, be honest with yourself. Look in the mirror right now, just while you sit. How often do you hear, for example, a sermon on a Sunday, and you're, you're challenged by it? You're like, yes, I feel that. But as soon as you walk out of here, you forget all about it. You don't let it change your life. How often does that happen to you? James says, you're deceiving yourself. He says, deceiving yourself. You've seen in the mirror of the word what needs to change in your life, but you refuse to let it have any authority over you. You refuse to submit to it. That's self-deception. It's kind of the worst kind of deception, isn't it? When we deceive ourselves. We know what's going on, but we choose not to, not to listen to it. Now you could say to James, James, I spent an hour reading the Bible this morning. It was a great time, and I can remember everything I read. I made great notes. I even wrote myself out a wee prayer at the end. I think you know what James would say. James would probably say, that's great, well done. But how are you going to submit to what you've read? How are you going to let what you've read this morning change your life? Are your relationships and attitudes and, and practices and thoughts different and more Christ-like now because you have looked intently into the Word? Unless we submit to the Word that we've received and follow through with what it tells us, we're deceiving ourselves. We're fools who have looked into, intently into the mirror and seen the flaws and done nothing about them. So we need to submit to it. And thirdly, not only do we need to receive the word and, and submit to it, we need to obey the word. Listen to the last two verses here in 26 and 27. James goes on, he says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, so that's the being slow to speak thing again, but deceives his heart... <laughs> Okay, that's looking in the mirror and, and not doing what you've seen, or not acting on what you've seen. This person's religious religion is worthless. It's so strong language. 
But religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep one, oneself unstained from the world. Have you ever seen the movie Goodwill Hunting? All the people who are young are like, what? Really great movie from the late 90s, um, mid-90s maybe. Um, and I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but you should watch that movie. It's great. It's about a young man who keeps getting in trouble um, with the police. And instead of going to jail, this judge allows him to enter into counseling with a psychiatrist uh, played by um, Robin Williams. And, and the young man's called Will, and he is a genius, right? He's a, a freak of nature in that way. He can just read stuff and absorb information. He knows so much. But instead, in living in a way uh, that honors that gift and that talent, he, he's just kind of rebellious and, and is wasting his life in some ways. And in one really moving scene with the counselor, played by Robin Williams, he says to him, he says to this young man, if I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo, you know a lot about him, life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientations, the whole works, right? But I'll bet you, you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at the beautiful ceiling, seen that. You're a tough kid, and I'd ask you about war. You'd probably throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watched him gasp his last breath looking for help. And he goes on to give other examples too. And you see, what he's describing is knowledge that is never put into action. Knowledge that never makes it past your head. Knowledge that isn't experienced. That's religion. Religion has all the knowledge, but none of the lived experience. And this is what we're in danger of if we just listen to the Word and never actually do the Word. James actually says that if we hear the Word and never do it, we're following a worthless religion. Sure, we might have all the right answers to all the right questions. But what does it matter if we don't live it? Of course, of course we know what the Bible says about caring for the poor. But what does it matter if we just walk past the people on the street in need? Of course we know what the Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. But what does that matter if there's never a seat at your table for the trans person who lives down the street? Of course, we can quote whole sections of the Bible about the kingdom of God being uh, made up of, of every tribe and tongue and nation. But what does that matter if we fail to stand up to racism and we fail to befriend people who look different than us? Of course, we know what the Bible says about loving your enemies. But what does that matter if we continue to think of the Catholics next door as other or demons? Of course we know what the Bible says about sharing the gospel. What does that matter if we've never spoken to our friends about the goodness of Jesus? Church, listen to me when I say this. The richness of a life devoted to Jesus can never be contained to our minds. It has to be lived. It has to be experienced. It has to be felt. It has to be done. Be doers of the Word, not hearers only. We need to let the Word of God move us into action. Otherwise, we're going to miss out on the richness of life that Jesus has promised to us. So let me ask us and challenge us. 
as individuals and as a church family, how are we going to let the Word of God move us into action for the glory of Jesus and for the good of our city? Because, and I, and I, I, don't, I, don't, even say, I don't even say this with any, with any hint of hesitancy. I, there's zero hesitancy in what I'm about to say. If we're going to be just a group of people who turn up to sing songs and, and listen to the Bible but never put it into practice, then I want to quit. I don't want us to do that. I'd rather close the doors after today and never come back because that's worthless religion. It, God doesn't want it and our city doesn't need it. We need to receive the word, submit to the word, and obey the word. Now, here's the problem with being just hearers and not doers. Firstly, it's dangerous for us, and secondly, it's detrimental for our city. It's dangerous to us because not only are we deceiving ourselves about our true nature, but in verse 21, James uses this imagery of the filthiness and rampant wickedness. Rampant. Do you know what that means? That means out of control. When I, when I read this passage, the first impression that came to me was like a horse out of control. Rampant. It's, it's like runaway. It's out of control and there's nothing you can do to stop it. But the re- remedy is to receive the Word of God, which, which James tells us can save our souls. If, if, if we are just hearing and not doing the Word then we're in danger of sin just being out of control in our lives, aren't we? And do you know what that leads to? That leads to eternal death, not eternal life. Hearing and not doing is dangerous for us. So how is it detrimental for our city? And I'm nearly finished. Well, listen to verse 27 again. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see, if we're hearers and not doers, the afflicted will never have their afflictions tended to. (laughs) If we hear the word and never do the word, the people in need around us will never have their need met. Your lonely elderly neighbor might never know love. The people in our community who can't afford food will go hungry. The person who feels like they just don't belong in their own skin, never mind anywhere else, might never know community and belonging. Your friend who doesn't know Jesus will never know their need of a Savior and could end up spending eternity in hell. That's hard, isn't it? That's what James is saying. We must be doers, not just hearers. We need to receive the word, submit to it, and obey, obey it. In other words, what it just means, it means take it in, allow it, allow it to change us, and then allow it to move us. Take it in, allow it to change us, and allow it to move us. Isn't this what we see in Jesus? The one who perfectly received, perfectly submitted to, and perfectly obeyed the word of God. Jesus says in John chapter 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus receives the word of the Father. And not only that, but he submitted to the will of the Father. This is something we see over and over and over again in in his life, but but no more clearly than in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he gave himself up to die on the cross. He prays through tears and through turmoil. Not my will, but yours be done. That's a prayer of submission. 
Now imagine if we all, we all want to follow Jesus, right? Imagine if we all came to the Bible and we had that prayer in our hearts. God, not, not, not my will, but yours be done. How would our lives change? And Jesus obeys the word of God. He follows through. What do we read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8? And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus obeyed the word of God even when it cost him his life. Jesus obeyed the word to the point of death. And why did Jesus do this? Simply because it was what was necessary and it's what the Father asked. See, James uses the examples of of orphans and widows here. Two groups of people that are very close to God's heart, but we can extend that to mean anyone in need. But think about that example. The truth is, before Jesus, we were orphans and widows until God adopted us as his children and made us the bride of Christ. As orphans, we had no inheritance, no protection, no nourishment, no example, no provision. But Jesus, as he received and submitted to and obeyed the word of God, gives us a family, gives us an inheritance, gives us a father. And as widows, we had no love, we had no intimacy, we had no commitment, we had no belonging. But Jesus, as he receives and submits to and obeys the will of the Father, makes us his bride, and he's going to be intimate with us and committed to us forever. And it's because our Redeemer has done all this that we go and do the same. And he's he's not just our Redeemer, he's our example. And he says to us, so go now and do likewise. Receive the word, submit to the word, and obey the word. And and I, I can't wait to see how the lives of people we know, the lives of people in our community, in our city, can just be changed for the good when we do this. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you, even when we close our ears and don't listen, that you keep speaking to us and you're just patiently speaking to us. Father, we, we don't want to be people who are full of head knowledge, but actually don't practice these things. Um, not only is it bad for our city, but we just miss out on so much of you when we do that, or we don't do that, I suppose. Father, I pray this morning as we receive this challenge from you and, and these hard words that, that they would come to us as like spring rain. They would come to us as refreshment. They would come to us as good news. And Lord Jesus, I, I pray that as we come to your table now, that we would see the evidence that you received and submitted to and obeyed the will of the Father for our sake, for our good, even when it cost you everything. And Lord, as we receive your meal, I pray that we would turn around and go out and do likewise in the world with thankful hearts and with joy. Father, for anyone, as always we pray, for anyone in our, who's listening to this online, who is here in this room this morning, anyone who's struggling, Anyone who's feeling weak, feeling needy, Lord, would you bind up their wounds? I pray they would receive your word and submit to it this morning and find healing and hope in Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.